So the other day, we were waiting for the graduation parade, and we'd come out, and we got in a good spot, and, and you know, uh, if you're from Duquesne, I mean, the, the, the students were going to start out at the high school, the graduates, and they were going to come down and make a big circle through town. We're supposed to line the parade route and cheer them on like we're, you know, at graduation, the kids are coming by, and we're cheering, <clears throat> and so we gather up the whole family, and my family's large, if you don't know uh, us personally. I mean, there's my wife and I, and we have five children, uh, ages from 12 all the way down to one, uh, and we just got a new puppy. So there's seven of us in the vehicle and the puppy. So try to imagine that, right? Uh, and so we drive out, and we find a good spot uh, right on the parade route. The cars are going to come right by. Uh, we're on the main road, and we're there. We're sitting in the car, and uh, we're there in plenty of time, <clears throat> but the questions begin to come. Well, when's the parade going to start? When's the parade going to start? And so <clears throat> we had gotten there in enough time to, you know, so we didn't, wouldn't have to wait very long, but we wanted to get there early enough so that we'd get a good spot, and we did. And I thought we hit the sweet spot just right, you know. Early enough, we get a good spot, but not uh, so let or so early that we're waiting forever and ever and ever and we've got impatient people in the vehicle but the kids are starting to ask the question when's the parade going to start how much longer is the parade going to start are we gonna get out of the car and stand on the you know on the little grass part right there when the parade comes by how long how much longer are we going to wait when's the parade going to start how much longer are we going to wait is that the cars are they starting now no that's not them well, when's the parade going to start are they coming from that way no they're not are they coming from over here no they're coming from over there uh, when's the parade going to start and, and the questions just begin to come and we make the decision the executive decision my wife and i you know we're going to stay in the car you know there's five kids uh we've got uh, one who's four, one who's one, and if we get out, there's a good chance they're going to run to the road. Then we got the new puppy, and she's going to have to go to the bathroom if we get out of the car. If we set her on the ground, then she's going to run out into the road. Uh, and so, no, we're going to stay in the car, but we're going to wave. We're going to, you know, wave and yell and make a lot of noise and all this stuff. But the parade's not starting yet, so we have to wait and wait and wait. Now, we actually don't wait that long. I mean, maybe 10 minutes, 12, 15 minutes. But depending on who you are or who you happen to be with, sometimes the waiting seems very, very long. And so we wait. And then finally, the parade does start. And uh, they're being led down, you know, by the, by the police. And the, the kids are coming by. Some of them have their parents in their car. And there's kids lined up in the beds of trucks and some have decorated their vehicles with signs and regalia and balloons and pictures of themselves and they're waving and cheering and they're all excited or standing out of sunroofs and all this stuff coming down the road and uh, we're cheering and waving and clapping and you know doing the hurrah thing and uh, finally the parade ends and we go home and I just began to ruminate on this as I'm preparing for this message today of waiting you know waiting can seem uh not only difficult but frustrating depending on what you're waiting for how long you believe you have been waiting um because a lot of times when you're waiting in anticipation of something you're my, at least when I'm waiting in anticipation of something, my uh, perception of time gets skewed a little bit. And come to find out, even though it felt like I was waiting forever, I was only waiting for a short period of time. But uh, 
a lot of times when I finally get to experience the thing I was waiting for, I often ask the question, that's the title of the message today, why wait? Why wait? Why? Why was I waiting? Why was I waiting for this thing? Why was I sitting there waiting for this? Why wait? Put in the comment section, maybe if you're paying attention, put in the comment section something that you were waiting for that ended up not being worth the wait. Why wait? We're going to be looking at a situation today of waiting, of waiting. You see, the disciples, when they had been with Jesus, they were waiting. They were waiting. They were uh, uh, waiting for the Holy Spirit. Jesus had told the disciples that uh, he was going to die and he was going to raise from the dead. And then when he did, he met with the disciples again and he told them, okay, guys, having met with you, you are now going to go back to Jerusalem and you're going to wait. And I'm going to send a helper for you. Now, Jesus didn't tell them how long they were going to have to wait. He didn't even tell them what it would look like when the helper came. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He just told them, go back to Jerusalem and wait. And so they do this. They go back and they wait in Jerusalem. They go back and they, they find a spot that's uh, big enough to house them and they wait there. And then the Holy Spirit shows up. And, and the way Scripture describes this is incredible. The Holy Spirit shows up. It says with the sound of a whirlwind. We're talking like tornado level volume here. And the, these little uh, uh, fire tongues, the tongues of fire, these little flames fly around the room and come and stop over the heads of everybody in the room. And so I, I have no idea what's going through their minds at this point. I mean, try to, try to imagine that you've never experienced this before. You've never heard of this before. And all of a sudden you're sitting there and these little uh, flames start flying around the room where you're at and they come and rest on the head of everybody in the room. I mean, is this a scary deal or what, right? I mean, would you be swatting at the fire, trying to put the fire out so it doesn't light your hair on fire? We don't really know what was going on, but the fire comes and rests on their heads. And it says in that moment, they were filled with the helper. The Holy Spirit filled them. And they began to speak in other languages, not to show off, not to uh, elaborate on their own personal abilities, but with one purpose, so that they can tell other people about the gospel, about Jesus dying and raising from the dead. And so what they do is, hey, we can speak in other languages. Their thought is, let's go and tell people about Jesus. So they walk out into the street and find everybody they can find and start telling people about Jesus. They start telling them left and right and left and right. And Peter stands up and he shouts out to the crowd and he preaches a sermon. That's Acts chapter 2 is his sermon. And he preaches this sermon. Now, keep in mind as well, this is Peter. Peter who ran scared. Peter who denied Jesus. Peter uh, uh, who more often than not lived with foot in mouth disease that he was in, all, constantly injecting his foot into his mouth because he spoke out of turn or he said the wrong thing uh, or, or he just, whatever was in his mind, he just blurted out without even you know, letting the mental processes roll with what he was supposed to be thinking about. Peter began to preach and he preached this message about uh, the history and then Jesus coming and dying and raising from the dead and that people needed to, to, to know Jesus if they were going to be saved. 
And he preaches this message, and the people hearing this, and they're flocking, and they're listening, and they're amazed at what he is saying, and they begin to, they're amazed at what the Holy Spirit was doing and allowing these guys to speak these other languages, and people get saved left and right. I mean, look at what Scripture says. It's in Acts chapter 2. It says 3,000, Acts chapter 2, verse 41, 3,000 people got saved that day. 3,000 people get saved there in one moment, in, in one instant, they believed. And so these people, these guys, these disciples, they, they uh, uh, are now leading this group in growing in Christ with one purpose, to, to help each other grow, but then to point other people to the gospel. And so this begins to spread like wildfire all throughout Jerusalem and the surrounding area. And people are getting saved all over the place. It says every single day people are getting saved. Every day people are getting saved, not just because, you know, saved people are falling from the sky, but people are getting, getting saved because the Christians are actively walking out and telling people about Jesus. They're not letting the gospel go by the wayside or their, their role in evangelism go by the wayside. They're actively walking out and telling people about Jesus everywhere they went. And so people are getting saved all over the place. And they're encouraging each other every single day, not just on Sundays when they see each other at church, not just on Sundays when they see each other in the comment section, but they're encouraging each other every single day. You've got to imagine that if these disciples and these first century, first opportunity Christians were alive today, they would be encouraging each other every single day, even in COVID-19 times, through text message, through phone calls, uh, uh, through letters, through all kinds of opportunities, encouraging one another daily. And God grew his church because of a willing people. But we hear that, you know, that's called the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was a, a, a Jewish festival. That's why so many people were in Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit came that day, and it was incredible, and it was phenomenal. 3,000 people getting saved, and the tongues of fire, and this great thing. But what led to that moment? See, see, see the time leading up to, to that, the, really the 10 days leading up to that incredible day were, I would imagine, uncertain and um, confusing. Take, for instance, in Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 12, is where we're going to start today. These disciples have just, you know, in the last month and a half, they saw Jesus crucified, they saw Jesus raised from the dead, and then Jesus spent 40 days with them, instructing them, encouraging them, getting ready to launch them out on this ministry. And then come day 40, Jesus goes up into the clouds and disappears and just says, hey, go back to Jerusalem. And then he's gone. The disciples are left on the top of the hill and they're staring up, having just watched Jesus go up into heaven. And they're kind of frozen. And it says some guys came, angels, and said, guys, go do the last thing Jesus told you to do. Right? Go to Jerusalem. That's what he told. He said, go to Jerusalem and wait. So go, go, go to Jerusalem. So the angels like shooing them off the hill. Go to Jerusalem and wait. And so that's where Acts chapter 1, verse 12, that's where we start. All right? Uh, so Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. So a Sabbath day's journey. That was... Uh, how far the Jews allowed themselves to go on a Sabbath day. 
they had all these rules about how far they could go and, and, and things and things they could do, chores they could do on that day. Well, a Sabbath day's journey was, you know, a short distance. Uh, some people say half a mile. Some people say a little bit longer than that. Some people say a little bit shorter than that. But it wasn't very far. Uh, and so they were up on this hill and they went back to Jerusalem. It says about a Sabbath day's journey. Not necessarily that they were, you know, doing this on the Sabbath, but that's how far they went. And so they go back to Jerusalem and uh, they wait. They sit down and they wait. All they know is that Jesus said, go back and wait for the helper I'm going to send you. Jesus didn't really describe the helper. Didn't really explain the helper, the Holy Spirit. Didn't say, hey guys, it's going to come in 10 days. It's going to be like a tornado sound and there's going to be tongues of fire, little flames going to fly over your heads. You're all going to speak different languages and then go out and tell people about Jesus. He didn't explain all that. He just said, go and wait. Go and wait. So look at what they did. Verse 13, having received this message from Jesus, verse 13. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. Now, that Judas, that's not Judas Iscariot. That's not the betrayer of Jesus. This is a different Judas. Uh, and so these guys, he lists, these are the 11 disciples now, the 11 apostles. They're, you know, they had 12, but Judas Iscariot killed himself when he realized what he had done to Jesus in betraying him. It says they entered, they went up into this upper room. They had this upper room. Uh, many scholars, smart, you know, Bible people, believe that there was this uh, wealthy follower of Jesus that gave them access to this upper room in his house. And so uh, the Christians would go there and gather and meet. And so the disciples, 11 of them now, go up to this upper room. And they're waiting there. And he says, uh, these guys, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. So they were basically living in this upper room area. These 11 guys living in this upper room. They'd spent the last, you know, two and a half-ish years following after Jesus. And now they're living in this upper room waiting for some helper to show up that they don't know exactly what it's going to look like. They're just waiting there. And so the disciples are there. Uh, and look at verse 14. So what were they doing there? All these were one accord, devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now, this is very important. Okay? They were in one accord, devoting themselves to prayer. Together with the women, these were women who were follower, following Jesus, like Mary Magdalene, we looked at a few weeks ago. Uh, Mary Magdalene followed Jesus, but she wasn't the only one. There were many other women who were following after Jesus. Along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, and his brothers. His brothers now were believers. Now, what makes this so unique is that John wrote in John chapter 7 that not even his brothers believed him. So his brothers, his, his physical brothers, did not believe in him. Now, before he died and rose from the dead, now Jesus has died and risen from the dead, and now it says that his brothers, his physical brothers, his half-brothers, they were, you know, these guys were the sons of Mary and Joseph. Jesus was the son of God and Mary. Uh, and so Jesus is there, and Mary is there, and his brothers are there. Two of his brothers, 
again, scholars, really smart Bible guys, believe that one of his brothers was James, who wrote the book of James in Scripture, and one of the brothers was Jude, uh, who wrote the book of Jude in Scripture. And so these guys are there in the room with the disciples as believers when they had so notably not believed in Jesus. Now they are believers. And what are they doing? They are devoting themselves to prayer. Their prayer life isn't casual. Their prayer life isn't just, you know, whatever pops into their head to the pray about. They'll only pray for meals or they'll only pray, uh, uh, you know, on Sunday mornings type of deal. They are devoting, their lives are all about prayer. Many of, our, many of us right now are devoting ourselves to the news and ingesting the news about the next announcement or the next whatever that's opening or closing or the numbers are going up or the numbers are going down and, and we're devoting ourselves to the ingestion of information instead of like these guys devoting themselves to prayer where every waking moment is about prayer because they are in the waiting for what is God going to do next? What does Jesus have for us next? They're devoting themselves to prayer. Prayer isn't a side thought. Prayer isn't a hobby for them. Prayer is like breathing to them. Prayer. They're devoting themselves. Every piece of who they are is all about prayer. But they're not just sitting in the room praying. They're being guided by the prayer. Look at verse uh, 16. No, not 16, 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And he said, now before we get to what he said, all right, notice some stuff here. Um, there's 120 of the people there. Uh, you know, you have the 11 apostles, you have the women, you have um, Mary, you have Jesus' brothers. Um, then you have total 120 people. 120 followers, this is the church. This is as big as it is. This is all of the Christians that existed at this moment, 120 of them. Now, why the 120 is important? You see, for the Jewish culture of the first century, you had to have 120 in order for a new community to be formed, in order for a, a new uh, religious family to be formed, a new, new meeting uh, could be formed once you reached 120. And so there's 120 of them, so they can form a new community here because there's 120 of them. Not only that, it says Peter stood up among the brothers. Now, we just saw the recognition of Jesus's biological half-brothers. Now, uh, it is written that Peter st stands up among the brothers, speaking of the Christians, speaking of the fellow Christians. Now, why that's important is this is the very first time the very first time that fellow believers are referred to as brothers, as family, as a family, as a new family, as a new community. He stands up among his new spiritual family, his new spiritual brothers and sisters, because they share something, Jesus. They share a new uh, spiritual blood pumping through their veins, and he stands up and he says this, Verse uh, 16, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Scripture had to be fulfilled. Literally, what that means is scripture, uh, it was necessary that scripture was fulfilled. It was necessary that scripture be fulfilled. But because the Holy Spirit spoke by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who betrayed 
who betrayed Jesus. He betrayed Judas abandoned his calling. Judas abandoned what what Jesus had for him to do. Judas uh, walked away from where God wanted him to be. Judas refused to be who God designed him to be. And because he abandoned his calling, what's about to happen is he's going to be replaced. Now, why it's interesting is that in just a few chapters in the book of Acts, you have another one of the disciples, another one of the apostles, James, uh, the brother of John, James and John, uh, is martyred. But his role, his position in among the apostles and among the disciples is not replaced because he did not abandon his calling. He was taken from his role by death. And so he was not needed to be replaced. But Judas was because he walked away. He walked away. He abandoned it. So they were, are going to replace him. And, and what I love, though, is that Peter brings out Scripture and says that this was always going to happen. Uh, look at verse um, 17. He begins to speak about Judas. It says, He, Judas, was numbered among us. He was allotted his share in the ministry. He did his share of the ministry. He did what he was, you know, for a while he ministered among us. He had a role. He had a purpose. He had a job, but he walked away from that. Verse, um, verse 20. For it was written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. And he gives another reference here. Let another take his office. And so Peter goes back to scripture and brings it out there you can see that there on the screen below me those two scriptures that he, that he quotes uh, may his camp become desolate let no one or let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office saying that he is going to abandon his his post he's going to abandon his position but let someone else take his office let someone else take his role and so peter had been examining scripture during this 10-day period and came to these uh, uh, individual references and drew this conclusion from the, from, uh, with God's guidance through his prayer that they needed to do something. And so look at what they needed to do. Verse 21. So one of the men who have accompanied us, this is still Peter talking, one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us Beginning um, from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So he says, what we need to do, guys, it's in Scripture. We've been praying. The, the prayer has guided us to this point. What we need to do is appoint someone else to take on the role that Judas abandoned. Okay, and he says, here's the requirement for that. This, this person uh, must have been with us from the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he was baptized all the way up through the end so that we can all go out. He can go out with us and testify about the resurrection of Jesus. And so they're looking in among their 120. Who fits these qualifications? Who fits these qualifications? And they find two guys, two people who fit those qualifications. All right. Look at verse 23. 
And they put forward two. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. So they find two guys. This Joseph, who's got three names, Joseph, Barsabbas, Justice, and then you got Matthias. He's got one name. He only needs one, right? Matthias. And they've got these two guys. These two guys were with them from the beginning. These two guys were with them from the baptism all the way up through his death. They, they were there the entire time. They walked with them for all of those several years. They, they witnessed Jesus do the miracles. They, they were there and heard Jesus' teaching. Uh, they were there in the midst of Jesus' ministry. And they were there the whole time. So this may be revelation to you. This was to me several years ago that it's not just the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles who were with Jesus during all of that time. I mean, it was a whole crowd of people, and including these two guys were there from the beginning, even though they weren't included in the original 12, they were there. And so I says, here's two guys who've been with us the whole time. They've witnessed all of Jesus's ministry. But the disciples still have to determine which of these two does God want to be numbered among the 12. Look at verse 24. Uh, and they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. Now, what's interesting is they don't take a vote. <laughs> They don't go by consensus. Uh, they turn to Jesus for his directions. They turn to God for his direction. They said, Lord, we, we, we don't know. We need you to guide us in the next step. And so they pray that God would give them that direction, that God would give them that discernment. And they, for the very last time, turned to an Old Testament device that God spoke through many times. And they did what's called cast lots. Cast lots. And God used this many times throughout Old Testament period. And now why this, this is important about this will be the last time because of something in just a minute. So let's look at that, verse 26. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Now, now there's several different ways that they would cast lots, but the most typical one is they had these little stones or, or little pieces of bone sometimes and they would write names on them in this case they would write joseph bar barsabbas justice on one and matthias on the other and they put them in a jar and they'd shake the jar and the first piece that fell out that was the one that god wanted and so in this case they had the the, the two guys uh you know joseph barsabbas justice and matthias and the lot fell on Matthias. Now, as I said before, this is the very last time that lots are used because the Holy Spirit's going to come. They don't need some, you know, device to determine God's will, God's voice anymore because they have within them the Holy Spirit giving them that direction. So some of you right now are thinking, okay, I need to figure out what God wants me to do. I'm going to go and I'm going to get some rocks. I'm going to write the choices on that. I'm going to get me a jar and I'm going to shake that puppy. No, don't do that. Because this is the last time it happens because you have the, if you believe in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. You don't need some device to figure this out. You don't need some magic eight ball uh, app to, to know what to do next. You have the Holy Spirit. He will speak to you and give you that direction. 
You say, yeah, but I want to know more than the Holy Spirit's telling me. I want to know, you know, the next 15 steps. I don't want to just know the next step. I want to know all the steps. Well, that's not the way God works. God wants you to trust him, to have faith in him, to follow him. Just like the disciples in the moment said, we don't know what to do. Give us direction. Ask God for the next step. And so they ask God for the next step. God gives them the next step. But what do they do while they're waiting for the Holy Spirit? What do they do there? We see them do several things. We see them do several things in the waiting. In the waiting. They, they, they prayed. The disciples prayed. The disciples obeyed Scripture. You know, and the Scripture said from their study of Scripture replaced the position of Judas and then they did the very last thing Jesus told them to do, go and wait. So they did those three things. They prayed, they obeyed Scripture, and they did the last thing Jesus told them to do. They didn't try to go and, and, and come up with some extra thing. They didn't try to go and uh, uh, fill their time with filler until the Holy Spirit showed up. They just did those things. They prayed, they obeyed Scripture, and they did the very last thing that Jesus told them to do. Now, what is difficult for many of us, is, is difficult for me, uh, is the waiting. Is the waiting. I mean, what do we typically do when we're waiting? What do we do when we're waiting on God to come and speak to us? What are we doing uh, when, when, when we want you know, an answer from God and, and we're just waiting for Him to give us that answer? Especially, you know, say you're sitting there and you're waiting on God and you have no idea how long you were going to be waiting. You don't know the timetable. You don't know the time uh, that, that he's going to show up and give you that answer. All you know is that you need to be waiting. You don't know what it's going to look like when the thing shows up, just like the, the disciples there sitting in that room. They didn't know what it was going to look like when the Holy Spirit showed up. All they knew was they needed to be sitting there and they needed to be waiting. And, and what if that's you? What if that's you know me in the moment and we're waiting on God and we don't know how long it's going to last and we're just waiting we're sitting in the waiting. We, we are getting frustrated, waiting. We're getting impatient, just waiting. But sometimes that's all that God wants is, is he wants us to wait, wait in the stillness, wait and do what they did. Pray, obey scripture, and uh, do the very last thing he told us to do and keep doing the last thing he told us to do until he tells us to do something else. Don't try to jump ship early. Don't try to uh, go somewhere we shouldn't go. Don't try to do something we shouldn't be doing, but do the last thing he told us to do and do it as faithfully as we possibly can. But the trouble is we don't like waiting. We don't like waiting. We don't like waiting. Waiting is, is, is frustrating. Waiting is uh, difficult. We don't want to experience a crockpot moment in a microwave world. We want something fast. We want it now. You know, waiting, honestly, would be easier if we knew how long we were going to be waiting. I mean, if Jesus showed up to the disciples, all right, guys, you're going to wait 10 days. But he didn't. If God would come to you and say, hey, I, I need you to wait uh, for this COVID-19 stuff, you're going to be waiting for a couple months, two, three months, somewhere down there. So that's how long you're going to be waiting. So just anticipate you know, waiting, and then we would mentally prepare ourselves for how long we got to be waiting. But that's not the way it works. We need to be trusting God all along the way because in the waiting, we rarely, if ever, every time I've waited, I didn't know how long I was going to be waiting on God. I didn't know. Just have to wait. I mean, imagine Abraham. I mean, you think you've waited a long time. God came to Abraham. 
and told him he would fulfill a promise. Abraham didn't know on the front end he would be waiting 25 years for that promise to be fulfilled. He had no idea. And Abraham was 75 when he heard the promise. He didn't know God was going to fulfill the promise when he turned 100. He had no idea. And so by the time he gets to year 10, year 11, he starts fulfilling the promise in his own might and not what God was going to do. He started trusting in himself instead of God, as though he were saying, God needs a little bit of help fulfilling this promise because he's taking too long. I'm waiting too long. Imagine if God told you, I need you to wait 25 years. Are you content just to sit where you currently reside in your, you know, your job, in, in your emotional state, in your spiritual state, in your physical state, in where you currently live, in your current finances? Are you willing to sit there for 25 years? If God came to you and said, I need you to wait 25 years, and you got blessing on the other end of the 25, but you got to wait 25. Well, if God said, that, if God came and said, I give you 25 years to wait, I'd be like, okay, I can, I can, I can do a, I can mentally prepare myself for a countdown. But I've never experienced that. For me, it's always been just wait. No timetable, no, no uh, uh, clock ticking down, no timer ticking down in anticipation of the end. It's just, just wait. And that's what we have with the, with the disciples. God said, go to, Jesus told the disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait. They didn't know it would be 10 days. He just said, wait. And so they go, and they have to wait. And so we see them do that, and they do that in obedience to Scripture, in prayer, Doing the last thing Jesus told them to do, they go and they wait. And, and in the waiting, there is much confusion sometimes and there's much uncertainty sometimes. Because a lot of times we want, we, we want more of an explanation or a faster experience than we have faith for the moment. We want the thing to be over faster more than we want to have faith in God in the moment and trust that God knows what he's doing. We want the thing to be come to, to realization. We want it now. We don't want to have to wait and trust God in the in-between. You see, faith is very re- revealing while we're waiting. Faith is revealed, honestly. Faith is, is revealed in the waiting because the waiting is a proving ground for faith. How you wait reveals the level of faith you have. How you wait reveals the level of faith you have, whether you really do trust God or not. You see, waiting is an opportunity to grow your faith. Waiting is an opportunity to prepare us, to get us ready, to allow God to get us ready for what he has planned. I mean, the... the, The disciples had to wait there for 10 days. They weren't ready to receive the Helper and the Holy Spirit. They had to spend 10 days devoted to prayer, pouring into Scripture, doing the last thing Jesus told them to do. And then they were ready when the Holy Spirit did show up to do what He needed them to do. But it took them 10 days of pouring over this stuff to be ready. You see, the waiting is a period of preparation. The waiting prepares us for that, for what God has planned. You know, before we, we experience what God has for us, many times, at least this has been my personal experience, is that when I'm waiting on God, I feel as though I'm ready for the thing, right? 
I'm waiting on God and I'm thinking, God, you're preparing me for something. Well, I'm ready now. <laughs> you don't need to get me ready because I'm ready. All right. I don't need to wait. any. I've been waiting now for weeks. I've been waiting for days. We've been waiting for months. We've been waiting for years. God, I'm ready. I can't get any more ready. But honestly, I'm a poor judge of how spiritually ready I am for the thing God has. I'm an extremely poor judge of what God is preparing me for. Only God truly knows how ready any of us are for what is yet to come. Only God knows. And so I have to decide in my own mind, in my own heart, in my own spirit, do I trust God and his judgment more than I trust myself? Honestly, in my actions, or even in my thoughts, a lot of times, I tend to trust me and, and what I'm thinking sometimes more than I trust God. That's something you shouldn't hear from your pastor, right? <laughs> but just being honest with you, I, I, a lot of times I do. I trust myself more than I trust God. And I get frustrated. God, I, God, why do I need to wait anymore? God, I don't need to be prepared anymore. I'm ready now to do this thing. And God says, no, you need to wait. You need to wait. You need to do what the disciples did. God's been teaching me this as I've been studying this these weeks. You need to prepare by prayer by obeying scripture and doing the last thing that I told you to do and keep doing that thing until I tell you to do something else. Keep at it. Keep preparing yourself. Keep being spiritually trained for whatever is next. But in the now, keep preparing. And then he will bring it when the preparation is complete. You see... In reality, we don't like to wait because we want it now. Waiting puts off the gratification. Waiting puts off what we feel like we need in the moment. I can think of a time growing up when uh, my mom cooked for us. She, or she, she would cook bread. Uh, on Sunday lunch or, or cinnamon rolls was on very special occasions. Um, but I remember cooking those once we got married and started and we had started having kids. Um, I would cook those at our house, cook cinnamon rolls for the kids and, and for Katie. Um, and I'd, I would cook them. And I would try to cook them and use different recipes. Uh, and for a while there, they they you know, the ones on the outside and the tops looked like they were ready. They looked ready from the outside. And my assessment, having, you know, put them together, was they're ready. And I'd take them out of the oven, turn the oven off, set them on the stove, and start cutting them out. And when I would stick, you know, the uh, knife in to cut them out, the knife would come out and it would be all gooey because the insides were doughy. The insides weren't ready yet. Even though the edges may have looked to me, as though they were ready, they weren't. I didn't follow the instructions. I didn't wait long enough because I wanted them now because the kids you know, were saying, we want them now, and so I didn't want to wait anymore. <laughs> I wanted to get the cinnamon rolls in their mouths. And, and so I pull them out and set them down and go to plop them in their, in, on their plates and think, well, they're not ready yet. they got to go back in the oven for a little bit longer. How much longer? I don't really know. <laughs> we'll check them again in just a little bit, see if they're ready yet. But... Just like doughy cinnamon rolls aren't anywhere as good as cinnamon rolls that have been properly prepared and pulled out at the exact right moment. 
and then covered with just the right amount of homemade icing. And it just, oh my goodness, I can taste it. I need to go home and make some of those. We need to wrap this up so I can go home and make some of those. But uh, just like doughy cinnamon rolls that aren't ready, that have not been cooked to the point of, of being ready, many times in our own spirits, we're not ready yet even though we may feel like we're ready we may give a self-assessment of ourselves and say yeah i'm ready i'm ready as ready as i'll ever be this is as ready as i can get i can't get any more ready than this jesus just do it now and in reality we're not we're not ready because he knows when we're ready he knows our insides better than we do he knows when we're ready and not when we're spiritually gooey he knows when we're ready and so what we need to do is we need to uh, uh, trust the process and the waiting is part of the process a part of God's process to grow and to strengthen us and we've got to trust the process and it's not immediate God can do that he can, he can immediately make us ready but God more than often than not I'd say 99% of the time 99.99999% of the time he uses the waiting as the process to make us stronger to help us grow so that we can become who he desires us to be who he has designed us to be we need the waiting which is the process and we need to trust the process which is what the disciples did when they devoted themselves to prayer when they obeyed scripture and when they did the last thing Jesus told them to do they were trusting the process which is just like exercise you know we can't go you know, for decades without exercise, exercise for three days, see no results and just give up and say, well, pff, that ain't work. That ain't nothing. That ain't doing any good. No, we got to trust the process. It's going to take weeks. It's going to take months. We're, we may not see results for six months, but we got to trust the process because in the process, there is growth. In the process, there is strength. And that's what Jesus does with us spiritually. We got to trust the process because in the process, he's growing us. In the process, he's strengthening us. He's making us who he designed us to be, who he desires us to be, which is a strong believer in him, which is someone who will trust him and have faith in him so that he can use us to accomplish everything he desires us to accomplish in this life. We need to trust him. And so what we have to do is we have to take back the waiting. We have to redeem the waiting. We have to, we have to reclaim the weight. We have to reclaim the weight from the enemy. The enemy wants us confused. The enemy doesn't want us to be focused on the process, to be focused on the growth, to be focused on the strength. The enemy wants to mess with us. He wants, us to, he wants to pull us away from God, and he will do that in a myriad of ways, and he will use God's plan of the process of growth in the waiting to say, God really doesn't know what he's doing. You need to stop waiting. You missed God's plan. You need to go ahead and do it now. You need to jump the gun and go ahead and do it now. Take those cinnamon rolls out before the timer goes off. You need to go ahead and do it now. Stop waiting. You want this now. You experience it now. You feel like you're ready now. You are a better judge of whether you're ready. That's really God speaking to your heart. But in reality, we need to reclaim the weight for spiritual growth, for spiritual purpose, and say, I am going to trust the process. I am going to wait in faith. Wait in faith. I am going to wait 
in faith. I am going to wait as God wants me to wait. I am going to wait and do what God wants me to do. I am not going to go down the road of faithlessness, of more faith in myself than faith in Jesus. I am going to trust him as I wait on him. I am going to wait on him and not be impatient and not be confused because the enemy wants you impatient. The enemy wants you confused because in that moment he can pull you away from God. He can pull you away from what God wants you to do because when we grow impatient and when we grow confused and when we stop trusting Jesus and having faith in God, we get weak. And Jesus doesn't want us weak. Jesus wants you strong. The enemy wants you weak. Jesus wants you strong. And in strength, there's not confusion. In strength, there's not impatient. In strength, there is faith. There is great faith. So let's wait in faith together. Together, unified to you, me, the other believers in our circle, the believers who are watching this together right now, who are commenting on this right now, comment on it. I want to reclaim the weight. I want to wait in faith. Because look at what David wrote in Psalm chapter 27. This isn't going to be on your screen. All right, this was a last second edition by Jesus. Uh, uh, Psalm 27. 13 to 14, David wrote this. He said, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the, I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living because of this. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Strength in the waiting. Courage in the waiting. Find the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living because you wait on Jesus to act in your life. Wait in faith. Wait in faith. And so you have to ask yourself, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What is the process he is preparing you to, to step in strength? So wait in faith. What are you waiting for? Maybe you're waiting for something you don't even realize that you're waiting. Maybe you're waiting uh, for hope. Maybe you're waiting for peace and you don't even realize that you're waiting for that. You've just had this unrest, this spiritual unrest and what you're actually waiting for is you're waiting for belief, believing that Jesus is God's son, that he died for you, that he rose from the dead so you can live after you die and you're waiting for salvation, that this is your moment right here, right now. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Click that button below me. It says, I made a decision and, and, and tell us about that decision that you want to believe in Jesus today. Maybe you're waiting for something and you've been waiting for a while. You've been waiting for a while. And, and you keep praying and you keep devoting yourself to Scripture. You're saying, I'm doing those things. I'm doing them. And it's been years. And I haven't seen the thing yet. I haven't stepped into the role yet. Does that mean I need to keep preparing? Does that mean I need to keep growing? Yes. Yeah. It's maybe not what you want to hear, but you know what? In the waiting, you know who's there with you? Jesus. His Holy Spirit. He didn't leave you by yourself. We saw this last week. He will never leave us or forsake us. He's with you. Even in the waiting, he's with you. He's waiting with you. He will never leave you to wait by yourself. He is with you now. He's with you now in the waiting. He's there growing you, strengthening you. Where he has you planted, 
to accomplish in great strength of faith everything that he wants you to accomplish. So will you wait in faith? Maybe you've been experiencing a, a discontentment in your spirit and you don't know why. And it very, may very well be because you're waiting. He's preparing you and growing you and you don't even know it. You haven't even realized it. And it's time to step into the waiting with great faith in prayer, in obedience to Scripture, and doing the very last thing He told you to do until He tells you something else. And the only way you can hear Him tell you something else is if you're in prayer and He's communicating with you. That's the only way to hear His voice, prayer and Scripture. So if you're not praying and you're not in Scripture, you're not going to hear His voice for Him to tell you something else to do. Pray. Obey Scripture and do the very last thing He told you to do until He tells you something else. Follow after Him. Believe in Him today and embrace the wait. Wait in faith and watch what He can do. Watch what He can do with your faith in the waiting and how much He can grow you. We're going to explore this idea of faith in just a few weeks on June 7th. We're starting a new series called Big Faith and how to have big faith and what big faith can do with God. And, and, and as we wait in faith, He grows us to accomplish everything He has for us to accomplish. So join me and wait in faith today.